Well, welcome to the Hills. If you're watching online, we're a church with three campuses in Tarrant County, in North Richmond Hills, in South Lake, and in West Fort Worth. And we would love for you to visit us sometime. I want to begin with a personal prayer request. My wife and I will be gone a good part of the month of February. We're leaving in a few days uh, for Africa to see a kingdom work there. And I really can't talk much more about it. But I would love to have your prayers covering us. Then we're going to Germany because there's a, a conference of missionaries and church planners. And they've asked me to come uh, and speak. In fact, they're going to wear me out for a few days. It's a number of times they've asked me to speak. But it's going to be such an honor to be among these great people as well. So would you please pray for us as we pursue these uh, two very big kingdom agendas. And then while I'm gone, I think you're going to hear one of the most relevant series we've preached in some time. Taylor Walling is going to look at the topic of technology in a series titled Always On. Now you just need to know we're not going to bash people for having laptops and smartphones. In fact, we'd like you to put the Hills app on your smartphone. We're not going to stop owning technology. We've got to stop letting technology own us. And there's a lot of hard data out there suggesting that technology and our addiction to it is having profound impact on us relationally, emotionally, and spiritually. And so I think you're going to want to come and bring a friend, and we're going to explore how to people who follow Jesus a steward the gift and the temptation that comes with amazing technology. This weekend, I will, for the last time ever, give a recap of the 2020 vision. Some of you do not know what I'm talking about. So in the year 2005, I announced to the church some big, audacious goals that we were going to pursue for the next 15 years. Every year since, I've taken a weekend to say, where are we in our pursuit of what we believe are very God-given goals? We've called it the 2020 vision. And this is the last time I will ever do that because, well, duh, it's 2020. And so we've prepared a video that I think will kind of educate you about what we've tried to pursue I think it'll bless you looking back because it'll fill you with anticipation looking forward. Now, let me just prepare you before the video starts. 2005 was a long time ago. And a lot has changed. The name of this church has changed in the last 15 years. The worship forms of our church have changed. We're no longer a church in one place, and even that place in North Richardson's campus has profoundly changed. It is no longer a purple and white church, praise the Lord. (laughs) Even the dress of the preacher has changed. The only thing that hadn't changed, he's still very good looking. So with that said, prepare your hearts for what God has been doing here the last 15 years. Watch this. You don't have to wonder what the mission is because right before Jesus ascended, he told his disciples, here's the agenda. Here's the mission. I just remember thinking, what? How? 
Wow. It was overwhelming. Just thought, how in the world can all of this be accomplished? To me, it seemed really big. When I think back, I remember going, man, there's no way. Our church, in many respects, was healthy, but there was a sense among leadership that we were a bit stagnant, that we were doing some good things, but we didn't seem to particularly have a direction. We felt like if we could formulate a vision, it would give us an opportunity for all of us to pull in the same harness, not just leadership, not just staff, but the entire congregation, the whole church. We called on Rick uh, to to formulate that vision and bring it to the elders and some of us in leadership on staff. So I did. I spent some time with the Lord. I came back, uh, got with all the leadership on a Saturday morning and just kind of put up on a whiteboard what we now call the 2020 vision. And the elders took that and they prayed and fasted uh, to formulate a vision that would ultimately help define this church and help us to celebrate the wins that God would bring. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem and Judea, your local community. Samaria, cross-cultural impact in your uh, country. And then ends of the earth would be going to other ethnic groups in other nations. Every one of the elders immediately recognized that as the way that God wanted to impact this church and kind of gave us a path of how we were to expand the kingdom from this location. We were pushing, and uh, and we were wanting more, uh, because God's a God of more, and He put, put that in all of us. And so we wanted the goals to be goals that were identifiable, but not necessarily achievable in our own strength and power, and that it would be... God did this, not us. Let me tell you what our 2020 goal is. It is that we can, in the next 15 years, double the number of fully devoted followers of Christ right here at Richland Hills. The thought when we started No. 5 as one church, one campus, that God would open up doors for us to plant more campuses, uh, really just, it blows my mind. We were a smaller church. We were an acapella church in one location. Uh, Now we're a both-and church in multiple locations. When we launched the vision in 2005, we weren't thinking multi-site. We were just thinking expansion of the church in Tarrant County. God opened that door for us. What's going to unite us is the mission. Because the mission, working together, will be much more effective than it's ever been working apart. Let me tell you what our 2020 goal is. It is to see at least 10 new churches in the Metroplex. And it's to see at least 20 new churches started through the support of congregations like our own. 
And if you've ever been to any of those churches and you see um, God's presence there and you feel it, you begin to see that we were able, just through our investment in church plants, to project what is a part of the DNA of the hills. I know that sounds a little strange, but it is a remarkable thing when you go to one of those churches and see the impact they're having within the community in which they exist. We want to continue to do what we're doing in missions, and we want to increase it. We want to do more in global missions in the years ahead. It's not enough just to maintain what we have going now. And it is to see a thriving Christian university in East Africa. Mission work has always been a priority of this church. But because we've had this goal in front of us that was so big, uh, it has greatly shaped us. We've been more generous. We've shared the gospel even more. We've sent more missionaries out. That people who were good in a certain career could use that skill all over the world to bless people and draw people to the Lord. The only way LIU was going to happen is if God did it. And it was such an audacious goal. And now watching updates on graduating classes or how many students we have, and that's what's changing the continent of Africa, is just incredible. We believe this is a God-given vision, and we accept it. I never really had doubts or fears about the boldness or the audacity of this vision. And it's because I felt like it came from the Lord. That doesn't necessarily mean that I ever wondered if it would be reached, but I never doubted should we pursue it. You know, when I heard the vision from Rick, I didn't get nervous. In fact, I was, I was excited to receive it. God had brought us so far. We'd been through so many trials and we'd, been, we'd seen so many victories that, that when you look back on it, it just gives you power and strength and it also erases the fears because you, you've tapped in to the faithfulness of God. It's not something that leaves you. It's been incredible to have a front row seat to watch the Lord do more than we could ask or imagine when this vision was laid out before us. There's something satisfying about knowing, okay, we really upped our game. We, you know, God helped us get uh, to this place that we wouldn't have really thought was that doable. It's shaped us for these 15 years, but it's also going to help shape and launch us as we move forward to our new goals. So the reach of this church uh, is much greater than it, than it was uh, with our impact, even in planning churches, with our impact of expanded missions, uh, our impact of LIU uh, in Uganda. Uh, we're reaching people that we haven't even met yet because we've been faithful to follow the vision. How is Christianity making a difference? And that's a great question. And I think our vision has helped answer that question. This is how your participation in our church is making a difference. And this is why the mission of God changes the world. The heart behind everything we've done has been for that person who's not here. Whether it's in our own church in America or around the world, we're after lost people and God has been bringing them to himself. Help us now to have your burden and your passion for this world. Get us ready for big things, for big changes. Give us one goal and one vision to see Christ exalted in every tribe and tongue. 
been quite a ride. So I stood in this room 15 years ago, although it looked nothing like this room looks now. And I laid out these big audacious goals for our church to pursue for the next 15 years. So for the last time ever, how have we done? And what has God led us to do? Internationally, nationally, and locally. Let's start with our international goals. We had four big goals. And the first was the most audacious. To start a Christian university. To train young people to impact Africa for Christ as leaders in the marketplace. Now, we had never done anything like that before. Had no clue how. In 2006, I went to Uganda and I met with leaders and government officials to even begin the conversation. How do we get permission? What red tape do we need to go through? What paperwork? What licenses? How do we even get permission? We don't have land yet. We don't have money yet. But how do we even get permission to try to start a university? That's how far we had to go. And we got the paperwork and the licenses and the accreditation, and we started a college. And it is growing. It's called Livingstone International University in Mbali, Uganda. Last October, they had their fourth graduating class. 108 students. They currently have... 260 alumni, 86% of them are employed with good jobs, which is huge. Okay, we got some pictures of the school. We funded administrators and teachers. We bought land for a permanent campus. We've helped build pavilions and dorms. We've sent some of our best to serve. LIU currently has 240 students from nine nations. They have the capacity on their current campus to grow to 400. When we finish the administration building, they will have the campus, the capacity to grow to 600 students. And there's land there to grow even more. It is impossible to estimate what this kingdom effort is doing and is going to do for the next number of decades. We've set some of our best, including a few months ago, the Corey Jones family from here in our church. And Corey's going to serve as the chief financial officer of Livingstone. And so, what can I say? It's 2020 and it's happened. We have started a college and it is thriving. Our second big goal was to support 27 missionary families. In 2005, we supported 17. So we said we want to increase the number by 10. There's only a very few of the missionaries we supported then. We're still supporting today. A lot of them have come home. We've sent people who've since come home. But the goal was to be supporting 27 missionary families by the year 2020. I am thrilled to tell you we are currently supporting 30 missionary families around the world. We have reached that goal. This last year, we've partnered with Kyle and Krista Fox. They've planted a church in Brazil in a town called Belém near a university where they're working with college students. Last year, we started supporting Melville Wall. She's in North Africa. She's doing Bible translation work. She is literally translating into the language of a people group that's never had a written language, the words of God. Uh, We're supporting Kent and Amber Brantley and Kent's cousin, uh, Stephen Snell, 
and Amy and the Snells were longtime members of our church. They're both doctors. They're currently in Zambia at Mukingi Mission Hospital, not just doing medical missions. There's a nursing school there. So they're discipling all these young nurses who will go across Africa, taking their skills as followers of Jesus. And then finally this last year, we entered a partnership with Phil and Rebecca, and that's really all I can tell you. Just know they're in a part of the world working with refugees. So we've reached that goal as well. Our third big international goal was to send a hundred missionary specialists from our church to take a hundred people in our church that had a skill and say, would you go for two months to two years and just take that skill and bless the kingdom in another country? This last year, we sent uh, Philip and Amy Woodward to Greece. Philip's a doctor, and they did medical missions there. And we sent Haley Haynes to Nairobi, Kenya, to work with one of our partners, Made in the Streets, teaching English to children in the Learning Center. Haley is our 100th missionary specialist. We have reached our goal. And then finally, it was to see... 1,200 different individuals in the Hills Church go on a short-term mission trip to another country. We reached that a couple of years ago. We currently are at 1,415 different individuals that we can track from our church that went on a short-term mission trip. Some to Haiti, some to Central America with Christian Relief Fund. And a lot went with a wonderful organization that we've been partners with for many years called Let's Start talking. And let me just uh, commend them for a moment. We've seen over 600 members of our church go on a Let's Start Talking trip. They've gone on over 1,200 trips. They have read the Bible with over 10,000 readers. 10,000 people introduced to Jesus by reading the gospel of Luke with someone from our church. And so folks, it's been a long 15 years and a long ride, but every single goal God put on our heart for international impact, we have met by the year 2020. We can celebrate that. And then our national goal was to see 34 new churches planted with the intention that most of them would have a planter of a different ethnicity than mine. Now, i got to tell you, church planting's hard. We'd never done it. And not all of the churches we started made it. But most have. Because of your generosity with your tithes and your offerings and your courage gifts, we are currently helping 21 new churches across America that are making it this last year we joined with three more churches. One was Steve Clevenger and Connection Point Church in Pensacola, Florida. One was we sent Blake and Katie Birchfield to South Dakota. And a lot of you know Blake. He grew up in our church. And they were members here a long time. They are in South Dakota working with the Lakota Nation. When we started this vision, it didn't cross our minds to think about Native Americans. But they're hearing the gospel through the Birchfields. And then this last picture I especially love, Lou Pizzicillo and his family have started a church called Community Church in Babylon, New York. Okay, get this. This is our 34th thriving church plant. How cool 
that we reached our goal of 34 in Babylon. And this church on Long Island launched in January, and they're already averaging 275 people on the weekend coming to church. Now, our very first church plant that we did without any help from any other church was called Bridgeway Church. We launched it uh, around 2006 in Flower Mound. It now has a permanent campus in Highland Village. It's a thriving church. They have about 600 on the weekend. They've got elders. They're supporting their own missionaries now in church planting. And in the last 18 months, our very first church plant has baptized over 100 people. Now, think about this. We've got 34 churches like this that we've helped start. So in 15 years, how many thousands of people are going to be reached for Christ and make the decision to get baptized. God has been good. And then finally, we had a local go to double the number of people coming to our church. I threw out the number 8,000, which, by the way, was more than double at that time. But that's the number I threw out. And where do we stand? Well, we've reached our goal if you count online viewership. Over 1,500 visits every week to our services, and many of them are more than one person. But the reality is, we are averaging right now just over about 6,000 people a week who physically come to one of our three campuses. Last, uh, yeah, and by the way, that's our best average ever. Last December, we launched the new campus for West Fort Worth. They're already averaging over 1,100 people a week at their campus. They had their first ever new member orientation dinner, just inviting people to check them out. And last Sunday night, 34 new families said, we want to identify with the Hills Church at West Fort Worth. Because of your generous courage offering, we've raised the money to start the renovation of the Southlake campus. They have serious physical issues with their plant that's impeding growth. And we're going to address those Breaking ground this spring, and I have no doubt when we get that project finished, they're going to receive the same blessing that West Fort Worth has seen. Still, at the end of the day, for the last 15 years, I've been praying for 8,000 people every weekend to come to one of our campuses. Right now, we're averaging about 6,000. It doesn't look like we're going to reach the 8,000 by the end of this year, although God can do anything. I have no doubt we are going to reach that number And we will do it soon. But we didn't get to 8,000. How do I feel about that? Here's my answer. The fail is not if a great goal is unreached. The fail is if a great goal was never pursued. And because we intentionally pursued for 15 years, increasing the number of people that come to our church, I think God has done some good things. And it has caused us to make some huge changes for the sake of the mission. We've changed the name of our church. We've changed the strategy to be multi-site. We've changed music forms to relate to more people. Because of our intention to reach more people, we've intentionally pursued becoming more ethnically diverse. And that's just going to continue. And our pursuit has resulted in thousands of decisions to follow Jesus. 
And let me say that again. In the last 15 years, thousands of people have publicly declared their faith in Christ and been baptized. In fact, today I've had a number of people come up to me and say, thank you for the vision. I'm one of the people that's been reached because your church wanted more to come to Jesus. I want to do something right now. If you have come to our church since 2005, would you please stand up? I want us just to see what God has been doing among us. Stand up if you've come to our church since 2005. Could we just praise God for that? Now, remain standing. Please remain standing. It's been a pretty amazing 15 years. So how do you respond? Two ways. Number one, you respond by giving thanks. And we're going to do that right now because God has been good to our church. I'd like everybody to stand. Everybody stand. Take the hand of the person next to you because corporately we're going to give God praise for what he's done. So God, together as a church, we thank you for what you have done the last 15 years through this body. Thank you for giving the leaders of our church a holy discontent, a refusal to settle for less than what we could become. Thank you for giving people in our church bold, fearless vision. Thank you for giving so many in our church generous hearts because this vision, God, has taken a lot of money. Thank you. Thank you for every life that's been touched, for every church that's been planted, for every missionary that's been sent, for every single person who knows Jesus today. Thank you, God. It's all to your glory. Because without your support, without your empowering, without your Holy Spirit, none of this could have happened. So, God, you get all the glory. You get all the praise. And together as a church, we just say, thank you, God, in Jesus' name. And the church says, amen. 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 Now, go ahead and have a seat. I also want to thank some people in this church. I'm thankful to my leaders who imagine fearlessly. I'm thankful to all of you that embrace audacity and generosity. I'm thankful to my co-workers who serve so selflessly. And there are two people I have worked with that I especially need to publicly acknowledge. See, daily oversight for much of this vision, for much of the time that we've pursued it, came under the direction of Ron Holland. Now, Ron has retired, but for many years of this vision, he was daily overseeing what we were pursuing. Thank you, brother. And then, one man had the responsibility to see that the vision gets implemented. Our executive minister. It's the hardest job in this church. My job is to dream and to cast vision. But it's the job of the executive minister to actually make it happen. I may create the game plan. He's got to go out there and run the play. And that person for the last 15 years has been Mike Washburn. And so I wanted you to know. That after 15 years as executive minister and after 36 years on the staff of our church, Mike Washburn is stepping out of that role. It's a beautiful thing. He has served with integrity, with faithfulness, and with excellence. 
And I'll talk more about this next chapter in just a second, but it raises a huge question. So who is going to fill what I think is the hardest role in all of our church, the job of our executive minister, and it's going to be this guy. God brought David Meyer to us. I didn't even know David Meyer in 2005, but God brought him to us and God has trained and equipped him these last number of years to be the guy who's going to help us into our next season. And Mike's going to be there too. Even though Mike won't be officing at one of our campuses, you're going to see Mike a lot because we're going to be tasking Mike to help us launch some of the initiatives we have coming up because people, it's time for a new vision. So how do you respond? You give thanks and then you get ready. And so this time last year, the elders approached me and said, Rick, would you do it again? Would you, would you spend time with the Lord and begin the process of creating what our next vision will be? So I spent all last year talking to a lot of people, including having dinners with the elders and their wives. And then I went in November on a retreat, just me and the Lord for several days, just praying and fasting and walking. I walked over 90 miles listening to the Lord. And God is birthing in me the next vision for our church. And I'll be sharing it with the leaders soon. They'll speak into it. We'll pray over it. And our intention is next fall to roll out what the next vision for our church will be. Here's what I can promise you. It's going to be bold and audacious and far-reaching And it's going to be impossible to achieve it, just like this last vision, unless God shows up to empower and bless us. It's going to be the tangible, measurable way that we as a church pursue the mission of making and growing followers of Jesus. Because here's what I want you to always remember. The mission never changes. Now, the vision does. The vision is the way we feel directed to accomplish the mission, but the mission never changes. Our church exists to make and grow followers of Jesus. And here's why I say that so much, because mission can drift. Now, to illustrate that, I'm going to talk about the greatest game on the face of the earth, the game of golf. Now, you know that I like to play golf. This is one of my golf clubs. I've hired a a policeman to personally guard it while I'm preaching. I'm not a very good golfer, but I know a lot about golf. Here's what I know. Forget all the videos and the magazines you bought and wasted money on on how to hold a golf club. There's a dozen different ways to hold a golf club and hit a good golf shot. Forget all the stuff about how to take it back and the different swing paths. I'm telling you, I have watched 20 different golf swings that were good because they got the job done. Here's the one thing that is constant in golf. You have to be aligned. Here's what I mean. I I had someone watch me the other day. I kept hitting the ball to the left. I said, why am I doing that? You're hitting right where you're aiming. No, I'm not. Look at my feet. Yeah, but look at your shoulders. My shoulders were out of line. That should be simple. It's not simple. It's the hardest thing to remember and to know you're doing wrong in golf. That's why if you go watch professional golfers on a practice range, they will have the coach stand right behind them. Because the number one thing you have to do right in golf, you have to be aligned. 
Because alignment can drift and you don't even realize it. And that's true in marriage. That's true in a company and a business. And oh my goodness, it is so true in church. Churches can be real busy doing a lot of stuff. Most of it really good. But they forgot the mission to make and grow followers of Jesus. So it's really important as we talk about vision, as we talk about the past, as we talk about the future, it's always critical to remind ourselves what are we ultimately trying to do? And let's recommit to that. And Jesus is going to help us. Matthew 4. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. And I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. So what do we constantly recommit to so that we will stay aligned? Number one, we recommit to follow. Now, when you hear that word follow, we have to be careful. Because a lot of people say they follow Jesus, but what they're doing is nothing like what Jesus asked those two fishermen to do. When they heard Jesus say, follow me. They did not hear, listen to my podcast. They did not hear, try to come to church at least a couple of times a month. Here's what they heard. They heard an invitation to become apprentices of Jesus. With the understanding they were going to submit every part of their life to his leadership So that he could pour himself into them and he could reproduce himself in them. That's what they heard. They understood follow me means I'm surrendering every part of my life to the authority of Jesus. So he can turn me into someone that looks like him. Let's just be real. That's not happening in many churches. Most churches are over-programmed and they are under-discipled. And consequently, it's possible today to be a Christian and not follow Jesus. We want Jesus to save us from hell and then leave us alone. We want Jesus to save us, but stop acting like he's in charge of our lives. Jesus has no business telling me how to express my sexuality. Or telling me how to use my finances. Or telling me how to treat my neighbor or what to do about the person that's hurt me. And so what's happened is we have produced a kind of Christianity that's completely out of alignment. Because it has a lot of people out there who call themselves Christians and they don't look, think, talk, or act anything like Jesus. 
That's the mission. I believe it is possible through the empowering of the Holy Spirit for you and me to look more, think more, talk more, act more, and love more like Jesus. That's what we're trying to do. And realize, for most of us, that's just the daily grind. Every day. Of being like Jesus in little ways that never are going to get applauded or noticed. It's how you react when someone cuts you off in traffic. How you react when you're standing in line that's taking too long. How you treat the person bringing you food that's not doing a very good job. How you listen to the person that's taking way too long to tell you what they're trying to tell you. (laughs) How you respond to your mate or your child who's having a really difficult day. How you treat the neighbor that does not look like you, talk like you, or vote like you. The mission is to partner with God in producing a people that look, think, and act like Jesus. And nobody drifts into the image of Jesus. Nobody. Now, you can drift away from it, but nobody drifts into the image of Jesus. You have to intentionally pursue it. And it comes at a cost. So it's Super Bowl weekend. If you're a football fan, you recognize Tom Brady. A quarterback who's won more Super Bowls than anybody else. Seemed like a nice enough guy. He's obviously very good at what he does. And yet every year he rates as the most hated person in the NFL. Why do you hate Tom Brady? Will Kane from ESPN said, I'll tell you why. Because he reminds us of who we could have been if we had cared more. He says... Here's the main problem. It's not just that he's great. It's how he's done it. He's a six-round draft pick. He's self-made greatness. Everything you didn't do right, Tom Brady did. His success is a constant reminder you could have done better if you had made the same sacrifices Tom Brady did. But people don't really like what it takes to be successful. They don't want to pass up the donut. They don't want to check their ego. They don't want to never be late to a meeting. They don't want to hold everybody accountable so that when they see someone do it, they try to explain it away. And here's the reality. You're not going to accidentally become more like Jesus. You've got to want to be. You've got to pursue it. You're going to say all the time, are you taking your next step? Are you worshiping regularly? Are you in the Word and praying every day? Are you dealing with sin in your life? Are you doing life in community with other people in our church? Are you a generous person? Are you serving anywhere? Anybody? Are you sharing your faith? We've got to pursue the mission. You've got to take your constant next step. We've got to recommit because mission drifts. And the mission is to get people to follow Jesus and then to fish. You follow me, and I'll teach you how to fish for people. 
There was this atheist college professor got on a platform in front of his class and said, I don't believe in God. I, I don't think he's real. But I give him 15 minutes to knock me off this platform to prove that he exists. And for the next about 10 minutes, he just mocked the idea of God. With about two minutes to go, a big old college linebacker from the football team walked down the hall, heard what that professor was doing, rushed into that room, knocked him off that platform, all the way across the room into the wall. Professor said, why did you do that? He said, God is busy, so he sent me. (laughs) God is busy sending us. We follow Jesus and we learn how to fish. And here's my prayer for you. That God will give you the personal vision of someday experiencing the unparalleled joy of seeing someone meet Jesus and you were the person that introduced them. And we're here to help you do that. It can start with something as simple as just inviting your friend to church. In the month of March, I'm going to preach through the book of Galatians. And every single week, your friend will hear the gospel. Easter's coming. I promise you on Easter, we will hear good news. And the weekend after Easter, we're going to have baptism weekend. Who can you start praying for? And on that weekend, we're going to see many, many people. Be introduced to a life of following Jesus. This mission is for everybody. Because this gospel can save anybody. I was reminded of that. You know that God has given us open doors into the Tarrant County jails. And they take my sermons there and the inmates get to hear them. And I get a lot of letters. And I got one last week from Chris. Now Chris was the leader of a gang, and they did bad things. Chris is going to be in prison for a long time. And while Chris was in Tarrant County Prison, waiting for where he's going to be assigned to serve out his term, he heard one of our sermons, and he met this guy named Jesus. And he decided to believe. One of the things that meant was leaving the gang. And let me tell you, in his world, that's a risky thing to do. But he did. And he wrote, God gave me strength and showed me a better way of carrying myself. And to not worry over things I had no control over. Now Jesus is my true homeboy. I would truly die for this man, no questions asked, because he died for me. He's shown me how to love myself. He's restored relationships with my kids, my family, my trusted friends. Trust me when I say he works miracles on his terms and his timing. And now I can say I am free even though I'm behind bars. Thank you, God. People. This is the mission. This is why we're here. To follow Jesus. And to fish for people like Chris.
At the end of the initial 2020 vision message in 2005, I prayed a prayer. And in that prayer, I told God we wanted to be a church that could touch lives in every tongue, every tribe, every people, every land. That is a vision worth dying for. And you know what? Jesus did. Let's pray. So God, we offer ourselves to you. We offer our personal lives. We offer our corporate lives as a church to you, God. To become more like Jesus. To bring more to Jesus. To give our lives to the only mission that ultimately matters. So help us, God. Help us to dream big. To imagine big. To be people who live for eternity. And we thank you in advance for what's next. Because we know it's going to lift up Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.